If you think like, act like, or are trying to grow like a franchise, then the Franchise Euphoria podcast is for you. Hello and welcome everybody, Josh Brown here, and I created this podcast for one main goal, to help people who are trying to grow their business through franchising or franchise-like structures. I've been practicing law now as a franchise lawyer for many, many years, and I've seen it done the right way and the wrong way. This podcast is not filled with a bunch of legal mumbo jumbo. Rather, I talk with real people, people who have been there, have done it, are doing it right now. And I also dive deep into specific topics related to franchising. So if this is of interest to you, you are at the right place. Thanks so much for tuning in to Franchise Euphoria. On this episode, I'm thrilled to be interviewing Yanni Kosmides, who is the CEO and uh, founder of Apola Greek Grill, an authentic Greek place uh, based out of California. He grew up in the restaurant business. We we spent a good amount of time talking about that and talking about the truly authentic gyro that they serve that nobody else was serving before uh, they came onto the scene. I'm not going to tell you what's on it, but it's truly special and uh, unique and candidly sounds fantastic. Really enjoyed this interview uh, with Yanni for many reasons. You know, obviously learning about another brand is always exciting and they're getting some great publicity and getting featured in a lot of publications. But, you know, for me, it's nice to talk to somebody who comes across very authentic, very down to earth, and truly seems to be in the business for the right reasons. In every location and new location that they open up, they partner up with a philanthropic organization to help feed families in need. And they seem to go the extra mile and extra step with franchisees to help and bring them on in a new way. Certainly, you know, as we talk and you'll hear in the conversation, COVID has had an impact, but they've managed through it and worked through it. And now they're really looking to try to grow this brand. Again, really enjoyed this conversation with Yanni and hope you do as well. Hello, Yanni. Welcome to uh, Franchise Euphoria. How are you doing? Good, Josh. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, thrilled to have you on and to hear about the Apollo Greek Grill based out of Los Angeles, right? Uh, yep. Southern California, Orange County. Orange County area. Nice. Well, we've talked a lot uh, with a lot of folks who've got uh, restaurants and quick service restaurants and so forth. And I myself, I'm a big foodie, so I love talking to people who uh, have these restaurants. And I know from some of the YouTube videos I've watched on on you and, and, and some shows that you've been on and so forth that um, you guys have an exciting and interesting concept. So tell us a little bit about the concept and then we might work backwards a little bit to kind of go back to how you got involved with it. Sure. So the concept itself is unlike any other Greek fast casual you can find in California right now. We originally started because we couldn't find any authentic Greek gyros to eat. So we basically started it for us. Uh, but it's it's a Greek fast casual. It's a production line setup Greek concept where you go down the line and you build your own gyro sandwiches or you just get a traditional build. And what uh, really sets us apart is our quality of proteins and ingredients in general. We import a lot of our ingredients as well. And we have the authentic hand-stacked pork gyros and the authentic hand-stacked chicken gyros. And we, of course, offer the beef and lamb that everyone is used to here in the United States as well. With French fries. With French fries inside, yes. Just like you would get it in Greece. And um, 
I saw that on the YouTube video, one of the YouTube videos I was watching. I thought, first of all, that looks amazing. But I've never, I've been to so many Greek places in the United States. I've never seen it served that way. Well, no one was doing it until now, actually, after, because one of our posts at some point on Instagram went viral uh, across the U.S., and some of our pictures have become memes actually in Germany and Greece and uh, across, you know, social media internationally across the world uh, because we started doing the fries on such a, let's say, large social platform. And it was just something new that people didn't see here, but people are starting to, other restaurants are starting to do it slowly here as well. But uh, it's funny because a lot of customers were commenting, oh, that's such a California thing. And <laughs> an argument is, no, no, it's not a California thing whatsoever. If I mean, if I was adding avocado to every year on there, yeah, it's probably a California thing. But this is actually how it's done in Greece. We put the fries inside of the sandwich. Why doesn't anybody... I, so I'm so intrigued by this, I, and then we'll circle back to the history of, of the restaurant, but why doesn't anybody else do that? I mean, it seems like it's something that you know, anytime you can add more fried things to stuff, you know, Americans are going to love that. <laughs> well, why, why has nobody else? I mean, I have, I'm sure others have done it, but why have no other places done it that I've been to? You know, this actually reminds me, I don't know if you're a Friends fan. I mean, pretty much everyone is a Friends fan, I think, but sure. this reminds me of the episode of Joey eating that uh, shepherd's pie that he did two recipes together. And it's like, meat, good. Fries, good. <laughs> Just put it together. Put everything together in the sandwich. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, historically, what that's how it's always been in Greece is you have the gyro with you have the pork gyro with fries in it. Yes, and my a little over thirty years that I've been around, and uh, on the bigger side of a of a mill, a little bit, a few extra pounds. Uh, Ever since I was growing up, that's how the gyros have always been, the gyro sandwiches in Greece, at least in northern Greece, up north in Thessaloniki, where we're from, uh, where over there we also tend to pack on the meat uh, to about double the portions that they do down south and in in Athens. So these are the gyro sandwiches that we grew up with. This is what we're used to from back home, and we just wanted to do the same over here because we couldn't find it. We couldn't find it, so we built it. We, We made it. We found the largest meat supplier from Greece that they supply more than half the gyro joints in Greece. They did a plant out here in New Jersey. We flew out to New Jersey, struck a deal with them. We got an exclusivity on their top of the line proteins on the same proteins that they serve in Northern Greece, same style preparation and quality and whatnot. And uh, yeah, that's how it all started. Started with a trip to Jersey. It's funny. The uh, so so you you grew up in a family. I mean, you're right. Your 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 father had Greek restaurants. Is that right? Actually, no. He started with a little Italian restaurant that it- uh, he ended up purchasing at the time from another Greek. Yeah, and uh, he continued with some burger joints, uh, pizza joints, and um, diners. And he ultimately got out of the business back in two thousand. I want to say seven or eight when uh, my brother and myself were still in college and we were supposedly done with uh, the restaurant business. And next thing you know, we pull him back in in 2012, we bought another place, a high volume location, started growing from there again with a couple more restaurants in 2012, a couple more in 2014 and so on and so forth. But we never did Greek, just sitting on the couch every night, preparing slowly this concept. Ultimately, we just decided, you know what, let's do it. And we didn't, actually. When we said, let's do it, something else came up. We opened up another diner. 
And at that point, I said, you know what? We're not doing any of the restaurants until we do a Greek one. And that's when we stopped our other concepts, uh, opening the other concepts, and, and started Apollo. And thank God it's uh, it's been good. So far, so good. What was the hesitation? I mean, what was that? What You were going with the other diners, right? Because that's what you were used to. I mean, that's kind of, it sounds like that's what your dad was into. You kind of grew up th- doing that. Was it, was that sort of the hesitation? Was that you always, you always had this pull to go and try to do a Greek place, but you sort of felt like that was a little out of your comfort zone? Not so much the comfort zone as it is the security, right? Of a concept that people are already used to. I mean, there's hundreds of burger joint brands, right? Thousands, probably. Hundreds of national burger joint brands. Uh, there's several diner brands. There's So people are used to that. So when you're investing a certain amount of money, you kind of want to play a safer bet, right? You want to go where you know you'll be more successful. And Greek in general has always been, I want to say, too ethnic. Up until maybe the past five to ten years, uh, when Mediterranean food in general became more popular and just people asking for more Greek food in general. I mean, our, our conversations always were, as soon as we'd introduce ourselves, uh, where's a good Greek place? And we couldn't recommend one. So ultimately, we just built one because anything else we tried, we we didn't like. I could not legitimately recommend any Greek place I've been to here in Southern California and in California in general, not just Southern California, to anyone because nothing was truly authentic. Nothing reminded us of home. So, so when you opened your first location, did you notice... Were people flocking in from the get-go once they started hearing about this Euro uh, with fries? Or, you know, t- talk about that first location, opening it up, the moments, I mean, the, the time frame with you and your brother going and finally, you know, getting everything set up. And now you open to public to talk about those moments. So we ended up for our first location. We purchased, it was an Israeli Mediterranean type place, similar concept that was not doing too well. So again, we thought that would be a safer bet since in that location, people were already used to going for those type of flavors. We said, okay, let's try it out. So we purchased that location, closed down the existing concept and quick remodel reopened in 10 days as Apollo. And um, our biggest struggle has been to train our customers as to what truly authentic Greek flavors are, right? And I think... Looking back, it was maybe a mistake to go into a location that was already Israeli by nature and flavor profiles. But uh, over time, we <laughs> I want to say we, we solved that problem. But it's still a struggle to train people that, you know what, this is what true authentic Greek is. Because so far, everyone believes that beef and lamb is the true authentic gyro. And the truth is, it's not, at least not anymore. The donor, the beef and lamb, the ground beef and lamb, that's actually Turkish. It's just been passed on to the U.S. market as Greek. So once we started The Authentic and got onto social media and all that, that's when we really saw the traffic come in from Greeks. And once Greeks started reviewing on, on Yelp, on Facebook, on Google, that finally I found a place just like Greece, we ended up having people drive from... Uh, someone came from Las Vegas one day. That's a what, four or five hour drive. <laughs> someone came from Sacramento and just Greeks just coming to finally eat authentic Greek gyros. Are there other items on the menu that are also authentic to where you came from, aside from the from the gyro with the fries and the type of gyro? Yes. So our Greek salad, which a uh, Greek salad known in Greece as the villagers salad is um, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, feta cheese, uh, kalamata olives. I say cucumbers, I don't remember. I, but no, no, bottom line is no greens. 
no mixed greens in it, no lettuce. It's just the chopped up vegetables, olive oil, salt, pepper, and oregano. And that was another item that people are asking, well, where's my lettuce? Or I got no salad, but there's no salad in it. You know, we had those comments, but we were already expecting that because we, <laughs> they thought, they thought it was missing. Yes. They thought we forgot something. And we actually have some one star reviews on Yelp that they forgot my salad. I only got chopped veggies. Well, you know what? That's a traditional Greek salad. Uh, but we were expecting that because we added that salad even on our burger joints and our diner concept. So we had already tested out the Greek salad, how it would be. And once people try it, I want to say nine out of 10 people just stick to that. They, they keep ordering it because it's a very filling salad and it's very healthy, refreshing and uh, light. You know, you don't feel like you want to take a nap after it. Other than that, all our spreads we do, we have six different spreads. All are made in-house. They're all family recipes, whether it was my grandmother's recipe, my dad's, my mother's. Um, it's all just recipes that have been passed on from our parents and grandparents to us. And uh, we've also adjusted to food trends and requirements, such as uh, Offering gluten-free. So we have gluten-free pitas available. All our proteins are gluten-free. Um, half of our spreads are gluten-free. And also offer quite a bit, quite a few vegan options and vegetarian options. Here's a question for you. Do you make your pitas fresh in-house? Or how do you, where do you get your pitas from? Our pita bread actually comes from Chicago. So we have managed to source certain items from certain vendors to bring it as close to the actual product you would get in Greece as you can. And the reason why we bring that pita from Chicago is it's a large company, but it's for consistency and stability. And because it's a particular size that not too many vendors have, it's a slightly larger pita. It's larger by about one and a quarter inch than the average pita bread that you would find here. And the reason we need that is because we pack a lot of meat in there and we need to be able to fold it. So let me ask you this, Yanni. The other restaurants that you, I think you had mentioned a few minutes ago that you were running the other restaurants and you tested out the the traditional Greek salad at those restaurants. Do you still have those other restaurants, those other concepts? We do. We still have most of them, yes. Okay, so talk to me about, you know, you're running, you're, you're opening up Apollo uh, Greek Grill. You've got these other restaurants. At what point do you think about franchising is this something that you had always had in mind or is this something where as is often the case you know you get folks who come in and ask oh is this franchised or you know can i open up another <laughs> location i mean what was the precipice for franchising this it was i want to say both so when we started designing the concept we it was with conversations with my brother and my cousin that uh, you know what, what are the issues that we have right now with the restaurants that if we were to start a concept from scratch, we wouldn't want to deal with. And uh, the first thing that came to mind was the customer complaints that we get. For example, someone ordered a burger, they didn't want onions, but they got onions, right? Human error, it happens. A cook will put onions by mistake, but that that was repeated. And then with uh, employees that in the environment that we're in now, employee retention is not as easy as it used to be. And there's significant turnover. So employee training to be kept at a minimal. And we looked at larger national brands, the ones that succeeded in building concepts around that. So we just copied their model. We did the production line. And then we set up our systems and processes in a way that if someone is sharp enough, honestly, an employee could be trained in less than half an hour to work the front line. So the concept in itself was built around authenticity to bring us the food that we want and ease of operations via standardizing processes and eliminating the issues that we had at our other brands 
that have over 200 items on the menu. So once we brought all this together and we opened the first Apollo in, in Irvine, uh, then we had people asking, where do you have other locations? Or where can I ask about a franchise? Where can I do this? Where can I do that? And then we said, okay, you know what? It looks like people are enjoying it. Um, it looks like it's going to be successful. So let's start looking into franchising. And that was back in 2017. We kind of strayed our way from the franchising plan at that time because we ended up opening a couple more locations of the other concepts. Sorry, just one location at that point, And then we opened another one now in 2020. So we lost a little bit of focus from the franchise at that time. Then we opened up our other Apollo location in 2019 and turned that into the prototype store. So we did our Your Belinda location with the design, the look, and the final setup that we would like from a franchise location. Once that was open and running, then we started the process to do all our paperwork for franchising because the requests did continue at that time. Unfortunately, though, our timing couldn't have been worse because once we did get our approval for our FTD to start lead generation and sales, uh, the pandemic hit. <laughs> so we just kind of paused everything again. And now that the pandemic, we hope, is over, we are starting with our franchise development and to start growing again. And on that end, to start getting some people to develop their own Apollos. So it's kind of been a long process. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like it. But uh, yeah, the nice thing for you, I guess, is you know you, you had multiple locations. You had multiple businesses. I'm sure they were all uh, hit hard by COVID. Talk a minute about that. I mean, I know you had mentioned that. And obviously, you know, the timing and, and the surprise took everybody by storm. But what kind of impact did it have for you? Were, were these other concepts more quick service? You know, we're with drive-through concepts, or are, are they all sit in diner style? We have all of the above. So we have a couple of drive-through locations, some inline shopping center locations, and the full sit-down diners. And even though in the beginning we thought how hard a location got hit would be dependent on the concept, it actually just ended up being dependent on the demographics. So we have one of our Apollo locations is in a strictly lunch crowd business area. That location was hit the hardest, uh, actually second hardest rather, because there was suddenly zero population in the area. Everyone was working from home. Whereas the other Apollo is in a bedroom community, heavier dinner crowd, and we're doing better sales right now than we were pre-pandemic. When we look at our full-service diners, the demographics on the one location is mostly a larger age group, I want to say. That was actually the location that had the largest drop in sales because the crowd, our clientele, was scared and concerned to go out. Whereas our other diner that has a full bar also, slightly younger crowd, we opened mid-pandemic and the sales have been excellent. It's starting to be... It'll soon be one of our top locations. And then the drive-throughs, one of them revenue increased, the other one decreased, again, strictly due to daytime traffic versus nighttime traffic. Yeah. What would you say that you've, you know, what are some of the things you've learned from this pandemic in terms of these locations? I mean, you know, obviously going in ahead of the pandemic, you had an idea, a thought, a concept to franchise for Apolla. But also, I'm curious how or if things have changed for you with your other restaurants and with the Apolla brand um, coming out of this pandemic, as we hopefully come come out of the pandemic. You know, how has that tweaked your growth strategy or your thoughts about growth going forward? Our main focus, to answer the last part first, our main focus now is just the franchise because we did see the success that the Apollos could have 
uh, even mid-pandemic, just purely depending on demographics, um, all our energy is now being turned to Apollo, purely because of the potential that we see of Apollo becoming a national brand and because we see that people can truly be successful with it, whether slightly by modifying our model to allow for drive-through, to allow for purely cloud kitchen uh, franchise locations, or to stick to our inline or you know regular brick and mortar locations. So we did expand our model a little bit and adjusted it, but all our focus is purely going on that now. Now, if we look at the other locations, the only thing that it has taught us, honestly, or the main thing that it has taught us is uh, the same with an old Greek saying that when you make plans, God is laughing. So um, we've just learned to <laughs> roll with it and uh, to accept that you can plan all you want, but you never know what's going to happen, you know, and and that's been true since we started with restaurants again in 2010. I mean, honestly, we started in 2010 with a five-year plan, just do one, two locations and cash out and go back to Greece. Uh, and here we are now 11 years later and growing and pushing for the franchise of Apollo and whatnot. So bottom line is, you know what, plan ahead, keep reserves, keep cash reserves because you don't know what's going to happen. Don't pull all the money out of the business account. Uh, like, unfortunately, a lot of other business owners, I know that's what they do uh, because you have to be able to weather any storm at any any given time. And I think that's what uh, made us survive the pandemic is that, you know what, just across the board, we wanted to make sure that we would not be losing money. And thank God there were some reserves in some business accounts, but others had been running pretty thin. But overall, as a system, we managed to survive and get through it. And we did that due to reserves, due to learning how to roll with it, like I said, be flexible, and more than anything, adapt. A lot of the operators that unfortunately will not come through this pandemic are those that just didn't want to adapt or didn't accept to pay the 30% to third-party deliveries. Or, no, you know what, this will be over in two weeks. Well, what if it isn't? Yes, you have to plan ahead, but you have to be flexible. What would you say to those who are working with family? I mean, you've obviously been working with family a long time, and you hear a lot of different stories about that. How's it been for you? I mean, it sounds like you've been working with your brother for a long time. Obviously, you worked with your father. What's that like? And how have you divided up roles so that, you know, you guys are both uh, being efficient with your time? Well, if if anyone in a family business ever tells you that everything is rosy and perfect, I can guarantee you they're lying. Because at some point, there were some growth pains. You know, I mean, one of the bigger mistakes that we did in the beginning was trying to share all responsibilities evenly. And you can't do that because everyone has a different personality. Everyone's different. We each have our own strengths and weaknesses. So where we adapted later on was that we did split responsibilities based on our strengths. So we did continue with some of our daily responsibilities of, you know, we each still operate one or two locations or overlook one or two locations. But everything above that, we have separate responsibilities based on our strengths. And yes, it is a challenge to work with family, but at the same time, you know, you have someone in the business at any given time that has as much an interest to make it succeed as you do. And as someone with significant skin in the game uh, that shares the same work ethic, because, you know, we grew up in the same household, we share the same work ethic, we have the same stories to tell. 
and it's uh, it's great. I mean, it's not without its challenges, but honestly, it's it's great, and it does help uh, when siblings can get along. Because unfortunately, I do see that uh, some siblings just don't get along. But we're we grew up together. We're only two years apart. We always hung out. We always went out together, even in high school and college and whatnot. So there's that, uh, there's the family relationship, there's the friendship, and then there's also the business relationship. The problem is when we go out to eat that we can't really enjoy a meal because it's like we're still working. We go to a restaurant <laughs> and we're thinking, oh, look what they're doing. Oh, that corner's dirty. So that's the struggle that even when you go out, you're still working. Well, it's hard to shed it off, right? Especially when you're passionate about what you do. You know, for those who are listening, who are contemplating franchising their business, it may be a restaurant, it may be something else. Obviously, your experience is in the restaurant side. Talk about what that was like for you. You know, what, uh, you know, the good, the bad, the stuff you, you, you learned, you know, along the way. In 2017, when we did the Irvine location and we started looking into potentially franchising, we had quite a few consultants, companies approach us, quoting some, in my opinion, ridiculous amounts to set someone up for, for a franchise, costing more than a new location would cost. Granted, you do, you know, when as you're growing and you want professional services, obviously nobody works for free. You have to pay for those services. But when someone is quoting three, four, five hundred thousand to set you up as a franchise, in my opinion, that's a little excessive. Yeah, that's excessive. especially when you can get it done with a tenth that cost. Granted, there are a lot of expenses that we have had to accept to pay, you know, because it's very different when you're operating your restaurants um, on a daily basis and you're used to basically I pay something, I'm expecting something in return immediately. That mentality has had to change. So there's been a lot of expenses that we know will just be very long term. There's been organizationally wise learning to switch and adapt from I'm a restaurant operator, I'm a restaurant owner to now I'm a franchise owner, I'm a franchise operator. The mentality doesn't change that much, but rather the change of pace does and uh, the daily routine changes. So I'm the type of guy that one of the parts that I love about this business is that I'm out on the floor. I'm talking to people. I'm in the kitchen during a rush. I enjoy it. I enjoy all these things. I, I truly love it. And the change of pace has been to where I don't get to do those things anymore. And there's times when I, I really think, well, you know what? I'm doing this. I love this business. We're going to grow this business. But I miss that part of being on the floor talking to people or jumping in the kitchen for half an hour with the guys or going from, you know, working lunch at one location and then going working dinner at the other location or whatnot. So where I had to adapt personally is to set a day apart every so often where that's all I do. And I do that for me more than anything, you know, because it's not like I'm needed on the floor to talk to the customers or needed in the kitchen, but it's purely just honestly for my entertainment, uh, for my pleasure. I, I want to say that that was one of the biggest struggles to do that switch, to go from a business owner, let's say, to developing a franchise. Everything else, if you have a strong team and find the right people, no matter what it is, it'll be resolved. And we were lucky enough where we've built a strong team and did find all the right people, or at least we think so as of now, to help us in this journey. And we managed to be able to, I like to think that we're able to compete with a lot of the larger brands out there. Granted, there's not too many, if any, no, zero authentic Greek brands out there, but there are several franchise brands out there. And we're up there. I mean, we were just voted from fastcasual.com 
as the number five fast casual brand to watch in 2021. And that was great to see for us being a small family business that we're able to compete with uh, all the bigger companies. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I'm very happy you mentioned about the change in your role because I think that that's, you know, that's something I often talk to my clients about and people about that they don't really think about, you know, people are busy running their businesses and then they go, okay, well, I'm going to go franchise it. And what they don't stop to think about sometimes is how that changes your role in the business. And sometimes people just don't recognize until they're taken out of a situation that what they really loved about their business was being involved in that day-to-day, getting to see the customers, being part of that action. And now as a franchisor, your job, if you're doing it the right way, is not to merely focus on that one restaurant, but now you're focusing on where you're going to grow. Where's your market? Who are going to make good franchisees? What are the various opportunities? How can we make the system that we operate more efficient? How can we continue to ensure that the product is super fresh and that we hire great people and that we're delivering a consistent service and a product? And the interesting thing is all those things, Yanni, is what makes any restaurant or any business great. But in particular, it's what you, it's what makes a franchise great, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you've got to be able to repeat that. But a lot of business owners, it takes them a while to, to realize that. Trust me, I've talked to many, many, many people and it takes them sometimes years to realize, you know, I really started seeing some growth in this franchise when I finally pulled myself out of the first and second location exactly, and really focused on the others and the growth. Right. I mean, that, that's what it takes a lot of people, a lot of time to realize, but it's so important and key to franchising. It is, and but it's also hard to do if if that's the only locations you have, because as a growing brand, also I don't have forty, sixty hours worth of franchise work right now, right? As a growing brand per week, so at the same time, it's like, well, what am I going to do with the other twenty hours that I'm around this week anyway? I'm I'm going to be at my locations, but at the same time, then you say, okay, well, you know what? The past two weeks, I've only been dealing with containers and sampling different containers for what's the best way to package our pita sandwich. So there does there has to be that balance. And if someone is willing to do that switch and is ready and wants to go from a two-location operator to a, to a franchisor, it makes it easier to have the other income as well to replace your work, uh, which thankfully we've been able to do. So I was able to 100% pull myself away. But of course, that comes at a cost. You have to put someone in there to replace you. If that's your sole income, I can understand that that becomes more difficult. It's just that at some point you have to make the decision of, am I switching or not? Because that switch has to happen at some point. What are your goals for the brand? I mean, are you looking to go across the country? Are you looking to stay, at least for the time being, on the West Coast until you continue to build out the model? And I ask that because, and let me reframe that a little bit. Most people, their aspirations are, they say, oh, I want to take this as big and as far as it can go. And I, and I think that's recognized. But For you to grow this brand in the way that you want to and to be able to manage that growth, what is your strategy to do that? I mean, are you guys looking at geographic locations close by or are you doing that in concert with saying, hey, if we find somebody and they contact us from, you know, another state, so long as we're so long as we're registered there, if we need to be, then we'll consider that. I mean, what's the growth strategy here? 
One thing that our advisor told us from the beginning is that if you truly want to become a national brand, your first location should not be in the same state. That way you can truly test the franchise system and make sure that your supply chain is in order and so on and so forth. And I think he's absolutely right. Now, granted, that was pre-COVID. So yes, our, our system, our supply chains, everything is set up for national growth and international growth. Our main focus, however, now due to COVID is that we would like maybe the first couple locations to be within a 10-hour driving distance. But that doesn't mean that, for example, we had someone reach out the other day to get a territory. He wanted to take over the whole Midwest. We're open to that. I mean, someone wants New York. We'll make it work anywhere. We can make it work anywhere, but because we are young guys with young kids at home, if our first location is two-hour drive away, yeah, I'd rather drive than get on a flight right now, personally. Yeah. Uh, but if I have to, I'll do it because it's for the sake of the brand. you know. So the system is there to go nationally. And at this point, we'll entertain anything. But personal preference, just as Yanni as an individual, you know, I'd prefer if it was somewhere close by uh, for the first couple locations. Uh, in terms of growth plan overall that you asked on how big we want to go, I'm more of the conservative type by nature. The feedback I've been getting from others, though, that have been in the franchise world for a long time is that they do see this as a national brand. Personally, I would like to start with opening two to three locations within the next year, franchise locations, truly put the system to the test, and then second year, hopefully go for 10, 15 locations plus and then blow up from there. But being conservative of nature and liking to have all my T's crossed and all my I's dotted. When someone purchases a franchise, they're trusting your system. I cannot in good conscience offer a system that is not 100% ready for that person to survive on. So as our system is right now, I believe it's truly ready. There is always room for improvement. Even McDonald's, Chipotle, any brand, there's always room for improvement. That's why I would like to take these first steps a little bit slower to see what else we can improve how we can make more money for our franchisees, and then let's blow it up. No problem. Yeah, what is, I mean, thank you for that. I mean, I think that that's a really authentic, honest approach to it. And I think a smart way to do it. You're going to have to test this thing out, but golly, if you're going to test it out, it'd be much better to test it out with a location that's an hour away than having to hop on a plane. <laughs> I mean, I, right. I certainly agree with that. And, and, you know, the truth is, and I find this a lot with, you know, people who I'm working with is there's, there's this consistent either excitement or fear or really kind of a combination of both that all of a sudden, if they don't expand as fast as they can right now, then the opportunity is going to be gone. And I've never seen that to really be the case. I'm not suggesting that you want to sit on things. Certainly there's, there's speed to market and so forth. But when you're talking about a quick service restaurant, at the end of the day, you're talking about if you offer a great product, a great service and consistency, you're going to do just fine. And the thing that, you know, kills brands is when they rush to do something and they're not ready to do it. And I think that with your particular brand and just in talking with you, you, you seem like a very down to earth, authentic person who wants to do right by the franchisees. And that's fantastic. I mean, that that's going to help take you, you know, a long way. And as you continue to build it up and then consistently focus as, as you are on 
what's the value that I'm driving back to the franchisees? Because at the end of the day, that to me is probably the most important thing that you as a emerging franchisor should be focused on. You know, if you continue to show clear and discernible value to the franchisees, you know, get them open, get them operating, continue to have great POS systems, continue to utilize the technologies and the efficiencies and get that brand out there and, you know, do all those things that are in great partnership with your franchisee and make sure that the distribution and the supply chain and all that is is taken care of. Then a lot of these other things, it's like a domino effect. You know, you start doing that and then the word continues to get out as you continue to open up more location. So it's just always interesting to me because, you know, if you take care of those aspects and you really, as the franchisor, focus on your customer when you are the franchisor are your franchisees. Correct. Now, they have to take care of the the true customers that are coming in, but your customers are the franchisees and you got to do everything you can to take care of them. And when you do that, those are the types of systems that are long lasting. Those are the type of systems that you know, endure the test of time, at least in my opinion. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it is at the end of the day of adding, it's a matter of adding more and more value to your franchisees. And that's how the rapport is built around the brand. And that's how you continue to grow. One franchisee will bring another. Once, once we get someone that's interested, let's say in Wisconsin, they'll go to our franchisee in Ohio and ask how he's doing. They'll communicate. They'll get feedback. And that's why our main care is to make sure the franchisee is going to be happy and successful. And I want to go one step back that we talked about testing all this. It's not so much testing the brand and the concept because that's already been tested. And we're in two locations with two very different demographics and it's been successful. It's a matter of testing our systems in place to make sure that we are ready to give the support that our franchisees deserve. Because at the end of the day, that's what any franchisee is paying for. They're paying for a proven system, which we have, and they're paying for support, which we have set up. We just have to make sure it works properly 100%. And if it doesn't, we'll make it work. It's uh, what I always um, argue that, you know what, we have to be flexible and not one person knows the way. I might have a certain way of doing one thing, but if a franchisee comes and tells me, hey, you know what, this is great, but we could probably save some money doing it this way, we'll entertain that. We're open to anything that will make more money for the franchisee and overall for the system, because that's why everyone's in business for. Everyone's in business to make money. Uh, franchisees are buying restaurants, uh, fast casual brands, full service brands, um, carpet cleaning brands, anything because they believe in that system and because they need to make money to survive. So it's the franchisor's responsibility to give them the best support possible and to maximize the return on the franchisee's investment. As we finish up here, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. And if anybody wants to learn more about the Apollo Greek Grill, you can go to eatapollo.com. So that's E-A-T-A-P-O-L-A.com. Uh, Yanni, I want to finish up by by talking about something that I think is really cool that you guys do. For new locations, it, it looks like you tie in to a local charity or a philanthropic organization for folks who are in need. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so 
in all our locations, we always like to become part of the community. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the community that supports you. So you have to support your community. So we used to do it slightly less structured while we were still growing. And granted, that's still part of the system now where people come in, there's a, you know, PTA meeting, a little league needs a donation. But beyond those, there's also typically organizations in the, in each community that support those less fortunate. Uh, here in Placentia, one of our diners, for example, there's a whole veterans village and it runs fully off of uh, donations and some government funding, local government funding, I believe. But what we did here is we got the community involved as well to donate meals to them. And we also matched donations on our end. So I think we managed to donate for Christmas over 50 meals, uh, full Thanksgiving feasts, uh, steak dinners, turkey dinners, and I reached the point where we had so many that we rolled them over to Easter. Now, how we continued and grew on that is that we also like to do it as part of the grand opening. So with our Yerba Linda location, we took first week of sales and we donated a good percentage to the Orange County Fallen Firefighters Association because it was the time as well when uh, we had all the big fires here in Southern California. So that was part of us giving back to those that look after us. And it's just, it's I like to say it's part of our, our culture coming coming from Greece that we, we always stuck together and we always push to help those, I don't want to say less fortunate, but that have also gone through certain things in their life that even if it's just out of appreciation, you know what, give something back. But in general, whether it's little leagues, schools, sports teams, anything in the community, we like to become part of it. It brings the community together. It shows that your restaurant becomes part of the community and it makes it well more accepted overall. Granted, it's a good business move, but I think it it also touches home a little bit and it gives you that warm and fuzzy on the inside that you're doing something something good as well. Well, that's really cool. That's really fantastic. And you're helping a whole lot of people. That's just a great thing to do. Again, to learn more, uh, go to eatapola.com. That's eatapola.com, E-A-T-A-P-O-L-A.com. I know firsthand from watching this, you can also go on YouTube and I think go to uh, This Is LA and put in uh, Apola Greek Grill and you'll pull up uh, some YouTube episodes there, which are which are interesting and I got to tell you, Yanni, I can't wait to try one of these gyros. I mean, it's going to kill my <laughs> diet, but uh, I think it's going to be worth it. And I'm going to have to try one of those bad boys at some point, either when I get out to California, start traveling again, or when when one of them opens up uh, near me. So thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate your authenticity and sharing your story. It's been a blast talking to you. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you for your time, your help, and uh, for helping us spread the word. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It really helps to get this show out to more and more people. Also, if you have any questions, have ideas for guests or topics, please email me, josh at indiefranchiselaw.com. That's josh at indiefranchiselaw.com. And finally, please note that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes and is not in any way, shape, or form meant to be any kind of legal advice. If you're seeking legal advice, please contact a lawyer. Have a great one. Happy franchising.